0: Today's episode of Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped has now got the Lawnmower 3.0. Yes, Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped Engineer team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball trimmer of all time, and they've just released, like I said, the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code EMPIRE. Yes, a brand new code. It is EMPIRE. So get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use the promo code EMPIRE and head on over to Manscaped.com. Dr. Tom Pritchard, I am your host, J.C. John Paz, and with me as always is the star of the show, former WWE Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, as well as one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling. He is the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you today?
1: Doing great today, John. It's always great when I get to do uh, taking you to school. Right here
0: from Knoxville, Tennessee, and the JPWA. Love that. Now, last week, with Undertaker stopping by JPWA, a lot of uh, talk, a lot of chatter. I mean, Twitter was a buzz. A lot of people were buzzing about it. Very cool stuff. Do you feel the aftermath of a big visit like that coming down to JPWA?
1: Ah, uh, you never know who's going to visit JPWA. That's been really, really cool. We've been very, very... Um, I, you know, I, I'm I'm more of a spiritual guy than religious guy, but I do have to say we've been very blessed, <laughs> I guess, over the the last year and a half. And that uh, you know, some turns some people off, and it almost uh, it, it it fits the point that we've been fortunate uh, to have some people stop by, if for nothing else, uh, just just out of curiosity. So, uh, starting with Natty Neidhart. Sasha Banks and, uh, Bailey. Uh, the first month we were open, we've been very fortunate, uh, to have guys like edge, uh, the revival. Um, my goodness. Uh, other, other, uh, Seamus. I'm trying to think of who else came in. Um, God, there's been a few people who've stopped by and just just to say hello, and just uh, some have gotten the ring, and some have uh, watched. Mark Henry came by, and so mm-hmm. you you never know. It's 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 been very very cool and and great to uh, uh, to have anybody stop by and just to say hello and check
0: us out. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this. There's a rumor swirling around that one of the all time greats is gonna stop by. A Very underrated legend may be stopping by this week. Have you been clued in on anyone else kinda of stopping by?
1: Uh not not yet, but uh I'm I'm always ready and, and uh the door is always open to anyone who wants to uh stop by and see what we're doing. Uh you, you, of course if you're looking to train or or inquiring on that note, uh we'd like you to Get in touch with us first. You can email us, obviously, at jp academy at gmail dot com. But anyone uh, in the business or uh, previously in the business uh, is always welcome. Um, so, but but the, the great thing about it is uh, we are always open and welcome for anybody who'd like to stop by and just see what we have. And we have a lot of cool stuff on the wall. Some. Uh, old school stuff that always piques one's interest, and um, it's always cool when they they like looking around just as much as we do.
0: Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, they are the best in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineer tools. For your family jewels, they obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past.
1: Yeah, it really is, and you can get twenty percent off using the code Empire. Free shipping, and I got to tell you, man, this is a, one of the coolest inventions that's come along from from a long, long time, and and uh, not just. Uh, uh, the boy's in, in the back, but uh, everybody else could always use a good trim now and then. Damn
0: right. that That is uh, for sure. The lawnmower Mower 3.0 is the real deal, ladies and gentlemen. And like Dr. Tom said, get 20% off and free shipping with the code Empire at Manscaped.com. Yes, that is 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use the promo code Empire. Now, today's episode is all about CR. WA Continental Wrestling Association down in Memphis, Tennessee, as Andy Kaufman used to call it. The CWA was the wrestling promotion owned and operated by the one and only Jerry Jarrett. They were at one point basically the governing body for the promotion, kind of referred to it to quote unquote Memphis territory. CWA was at one point part of the NWA until 86, and it was also affiliated with the AWA until 89. In 89, CWA merged with world-class tri- to reform uh, the USWA. So basically speaking, US, uh, excuse me, Continental CWA is from 1977. Really this, the, the kind of jump start of it with Jerry Jarrett until about 1989. But today we're going to focus in on when you get there in 1983. How did you get into CWA Memphis wrestling?
1: That was a Nick Bachwinkle call. And uh, I was, uh, gosh, I think I'd come back and, and, To Houston, Texas, been working there a little bit um, from Atlanta. And it was um, suggested maybe I I try Memphis out. And Nick Bachwinkle helped me get in there. Uh, And my first night in, I remember, uh, was a huge, huge, huge. Loser Leaves Town match between uh, Superstar Bill Dundee and uh, the King Jerry Lawler where they had the baby faces come out and sit on one side and the heels came out and sat on on another uh, front row ringside and it was a huge house in the uh, Mid-South Coliseum and it was great houses all the way around the loop I mean it was uh, Memphis on Monday Louisville on Tuesday, Evansville Wednesday, we had a spot show Thursday and Friday uh, and then came back and made Memphis TV on Saturday. And uh, uh, the fairgrounds in Nashville were Saturday night. It was, it was the first time there in Memphis uh, in the early 80s, middle 80s, was great business. They were doing tremendous uh, crowds and, and, and had a lot of great talent in there. And it was um, it was exciting to be there, man. It really was. So... Uh the, first, uh the first week, of it, they went around the loop with uh, Lawler and Dundee, Loser Leave Town in each town. The Heels and Baby Faces came out and sat on the front row. It was really, really
0: cool. That is awesome. And the day you're there, which we're, we're going to talk about, obviously, we are get to the, the first day, June sixth, 1983. And you're right, the main event for the AWA Southern Heavyweight Championship. Loser Leaves Town. Jerry Lawler, the champion, defeats Bill Dundee. And he must exit. Obviously, Dundee would kind of go off to uh, Mid-South and just become an unbelievable booker down there. But that is just one of the uh, legendary feuds. Is that just awesome kind of to be on that card? Like, wow, you you know, I can get started in this territory. This crowd is nuts. Um, the mid you know mid south Coliseum is is jamming. like is that an awesome way to kind of start the territory oh it was totally awesome plus
1: you had guys like stan lane and steve kern and the rock and roll express uh coco and uh uh you know when I, when i first met lawler i uh, again in, in in my explanation of things i was uh, uh very much not into Playing the game right then, so uh, you know I wasn't I wasn't always the the, the best <laughs> the best employee at that time I guess, but but they had a great a lot of great talent and um, I looked around and, and and felt the buzz you could you could feel the buzz the Fabs were still they were like in the middle of their. Um, uh, their phase of getting over they they were all they were over 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 but they were right in the middle of their run and uh, i i wound up in the car with uh Steve and Stan and i think it was Terry Taylor making the towns and uh uh later on i my i began riding with Bobby Eaton and uh it might have been Stan and Steve too at that time cuz cuz we were all baby faces but um, it was, yeah, it, it really was the first time I, I had, I had heard about Memphis, uh, through my time, short time in the business, but I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd heard about, uh, the, I'd seen the Mid-South Coliseum before I'd traveled to Memphis years before, even prior to getting in the business. You know, I went down to, uh, or went up from Texas, I should say, uh, with, with some friends of mine, uh. My karate instructor, Bill Gray, and I and another buddy, we went up to see Bill Wallace in Memphis, the Superfoot Bill Wallace. And uh, he was a world middleweight champion. And uh, we drove by the Mid-South Coliseum, and I thought, holy smoke, man, I hope I get to work there someday. And I did. And, and it really was great houses. The the, the spectacle of Memphis wrestling was Something that uh, could be looked at two ways. People, a lot of people mocked it. A lot of people said, "Oh, it was that hokey, uh, phony BS." But I got to tell you, man, all it—it I, I, it came off to me as more showmanship, more more glitz, more glamour, more. Uh, 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 the the sequins and the, and the and the shine and the stars and you put them uh, with the right persona like a Jerry Lawler and a Bill Dundee they weren't the biggest guys in the world but man they went out there and tore the house down every single night Steve and Stan as the uh, fabulous ones would go out there and and they tore the house down every night. So it was the, they had a great work ethic and and a great group of, uh, uh, guys there. The crew was, was very, very passionate. And, And it was in that time, uh, when the, the new wave of wrestling and new generation was really taking off. It seemed. And, um, uh yeah, it was it was uh, very, very intriguing and and very, very cool to be there
0: at that time. So your first match is against Carl Fergie. What's kind of the member or the, what do you remember about the legendary Carl Fergie? Oh, Carl's
1: a great guy. Carl was always a good guy. He was one of those uh highly underrated people too. And uh one of the nicest guys. You know, and speaking of speaking of people who visited uh JPWA, he and Davey Rich came by last year uh Ooh. on their way to a town. Yeah, Carl Fergie, Davey Rich. And um so you you know I've known Carl for years and uh obviously he, you know, he he was the cousin of the King and uh uh but he 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 knew his business, he knew wrestling and he knew how to work. So uh I also when I got there, uh Terry Taylor uh invited me to to stay at his apartment then when Terry went to mid south I just took over his apartment in Hendersonville and Hendersonville uh is a great little town right outside of Nashville and uh I had a great it had a great atmosphere great scenery great uh you know back road into this apartment uh, complex and uh for a young guy you know living there and uh you know doing doing living the dream it was great it was uh a great environment at that time i thought you know it was uh a lot of guys who worked hard and wanted to have great matches and that
0: was from top to bottom of the card that was always good to see so what was kind of your relationship just kind of backtracking a bit with nick Bachwinkle, that he's helping you get in what kind of like friendship or did he just you know like it like what did you guys kind of meet
1: well, uh, Paul, Nick was part owner in Houston and I'd worked with Nick before uh in Southwest Championship Wrestling. I worked with him on T V and Nick had always uh been ready and, and there to give advice and uh uh we were actually talking about another place to go and he said, I think you might fit in Memphis. Let me let me give Jerry Lawler a call and he did. Uh, it might have been Jerry Jarrett that he called, but uh, Lawler was the booker at that time. And uh, that's how I wound up there. Just uh, uh, Nick was, a, a, again, part owner, and and I, th- I think he did us a favor both to me and Paul.
0: What is the relationship like with Jerry Jarrett as you're coming in the door? What are your impressions of him, and what's his impressions of you? Uh, you know, I don't think Jerry even knew I was there
1: the first time.
0: Uh, and
1: he's even told me that because the last, the last, uh, <laughs> my last run or whatever it was, I remember Jerry just kind of saying, You know, they told me you've been here a couple times. And I thought, Wow, that's pretty observant. But, you know, <laughs> I, I never had a problem with Jerry Jarrett. I mean, I, I, you know, other than the fact that he, he is like every other promoter in, in, in the sense that, uh, uh, if he told you it was raining, you, you might want to check, you know, and, and, uh, so, I mean, I, I didn't have much of a relationship with him that first time and I, or Lawler, but it was on me. I mean, I was, uh, again, I've made every mistake there is to making the business and I tell everybody who comes to train with me that, but uh, once I got on the other side of the fence, uh, and, and understood how it works and even before that i mean i just i can't explain why i was insistent on doing it this way but i did it i did it this way and um it would have been much easier better nicer probably if i would have uh embraced (laughs) embraced people more but i didn't and that's uh that was on me, and and wrestling is a relationship business. That's why when I went in, I, I you know I had my friends, but uh, you have to have the office warm up to you too. And by doing that, they have to like you. And, and I wasn't a, a very likable person all the time, so yeah, uh, you know, it wasn't a real relationship back then. During the first time, my 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 last time in, you know, I had more of a relationship with him, but. But once again, uh, you know, all promoters during that era—let me say this—were uh, looked at, you know, with a with a skeptical eye, I guess, unless you were really in there. And I just, when I was coming up, there there were two kinds of uh, two kinds of guys. There was the office, and there was the boys. And I, I had no desire to be in the office. I just didn't, and so you know maybe they can smell that on you read that on you whatever it is uh but eventually i learned that's not the way to do things you you have to you have to get in in the mix you have to you have to have make them like you you have to do something likable you have to do something with talent and um uh you know, it, it. there's a lot of moving parts. There was a lot of things that I didn't take into consideration that I should have. So let me just say it
0: like that. You're kind of going along. You said Jerry Lawler is the booker. What's the relationship, if any, with, with Jared as far as what he thinks of you and your placement on the card?
1: Uh, none, none, not really at all. And, and I wasn't paying attention to it too. And you really need to pay attention to it. You really need to be engaged, uh, with your career, and I really wasn't. I was, I was there doing what I thought I should do, which was show up and do my job and show them I can do it and show them I'm, I'm worthy. Well, you know that's great, but um, uh, the best workers don't always get the best spots. But in in Memphis, they had great workers in great spots. So I'm not saying, boy, they held me down. I'm not saying that at all. I held me down, and I, I don't think um, it wasn't until later in my career later in my life that, uh, I guess the maturity you can call it or, or lack thereof that, that certainly held me down or held, uh, did damage, whatever you want to say. Uh, I, I, I learned as I got to other places. And, um, so that was, it, it evolved certainly. And the last time I was there, we had a little bit more of a relationship and, and even through the years with Lawler, we didn't always see eye to eye, but uh, you got to respect the guy. And I never really had a hard, uh, any hard feelings towards him, but you don't call yourself the King unless you truly believe it. And, uh, and that, that's, that's not just in the ring. It's, it's in the back and everywhere you go. And at that time I really wasn't, uh, uh, I wasn't into, into understanding that philosophy. And, and that's, again, that's all on me because I, I uh, didn't want to understand it and I didn't want to deal with it. So
0: are you uh, trying to say that maybe he was booking himself on top or what do you <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly what I'm trying to say because that's what bookers do, and that's what that's what top guys do. He owned part of the territory too, mm-hmm. but but Lawler Lawler was fantastic. Lawler was always a fantastic worker. Um, no one can can say he wasn't. He 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 did things differently, yes. And in Memphis, um, they would do crazy things like. Uh, Uh, Leatherface, or Frankenstein Monster, and that was Lawler stuff, you know? That's cool, if if that's what you want to do. It wasn't necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but when you looked at Memphis, and you looked at the presentation, uh, it was showmanship, it was show business, and they knew how to do it. Man, Lawler's entrances, Lawler's matches, uh, the, the opponents he brought in to face, um, Everybody did their part to a T, and that's how you build somebody. Uh, and Jerry Lawler was built because he he could handle it, he could uh, produce, he could go out and and have people um want to see him in that spot. And, and the way you knew that was they were paying to come and see him in that spot. When it dropped down, I think it was is when everything in the business was going going south uh, when Vince took over, you know, it was kind of hard to say you're the baddest guy in Memphis, Tennessee, and you're the the world champion when you got another guy on another, on a cable channel saying, you know, I'm the real world champion. He's six, eight, you know, blonde and 280 pounds and, and, you know, becoming a hero all over the country and the world. So that was just the time uh, for the business to change. Is why things went
0: away with with the Memphis territory. So while you're there, there's also another huge feud that was brewing from 1982 and still can kind of continuing on in '83 with Andy Kaufman and Lawler. But what's your kind of thought there? Like you're totally saying like sports entertainment, showmanship stuff like that. Are you are you loving that that stuff with Kaufman? Or are you thinking like like? some of the wrestlers did back then like this guy doesn't belong in the business this is bullshit no 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 no
1: not at all not at all and, and i met Andy Kaufman when he was there and uh he was very respectful of the business business in the locker room and with the guys um and he would be at tv like everybody else they would do shoot they would do angles with uh jimmy hart um and andy um and i believe jimmy was managing the assassins back then and it was um i think it was Randy Colley and Roger Smith but but either way uh andy was there and i i thought it was great i really did because i uh i thought it was was great the way he did his his uh, his act the way he went out and did He wasn't a comedian. He was a live performance artist. And that was, you know, as much as people want to say we're not, well, we are. um, And we're performing live, you know, inside of a ring, four sides to it, people all around at one time. And, uh, you know, Coughlin did the same thing. And and it was, I thought it was a great thing. I was, uh, you know, a lot of people, when they, when they, come around wrestling for the first time because I was the same way. You're, you're amazed at, um, what it takes to actually produce a hell of a match and to go out there and and make it happen. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that nobody really thinks about until it's brought to your attention. Slow down, back up, relax, give me some space. Don't crowd me. Take your time, make it big, make it small. Don't overdo it. Don't underdo it. You know, little things that you don't really think about until you get in there, and someone's coaching you or telling you or, or directing you. And Andy Kaufman took to that. He he was. He, he, you could tell he had respect uh, for the business because he wasn't loud and brash, and he enjoyed what he did. You 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 got that vibe from him, and uh, so I thought it was great. And and again, Memphis. In, in hindsight, especially, I don't think it would have worked. In my, I'm sure that it would have worked in New York. It would have worked anywhere, but Memphis was the perfect place to do it because they would do stuff like that all the time and not tell anybody about it. You know, where nobody would nobody would know if it was if it was real or Memorex or or a shoot or a work. And that's the way you you do things. You don't have to tell every single person what you're going to do. Make them wonder. You know, make them, make them talk. Make make the buzz go. If you can fool the boys, you can fool the fans too. Hopefully, and and I was I was very okay with that. Andy Kaufman was, uh, uh, I th- I think, a feather in the cap for Memphis to to be able to do that. Put Jerry Lawler hell on the national map. And every time I see the uh, uh, video of the pile driver, you know, with Lawler and Kaufman, Danny Davis is in the ring. Danny Davis gets lost in the mix. Danny Davis, uh, former owner of OVW was Lawler's manager during that time, you know, and Danny was one of the great workers great managers, great uh, performers and a, and a hell of a coach, um, you know, early on. So, he was another one of those guys that was around and uh, an unsung hero in Memphis and, and certainly doesn't get talked about how much uh, his influence over OVW really counted um, when it came to making stars for WWE. You wouldn't have Cena. You wouldn't have Lesnar, Sheldon Benjamin, um, God, Batista. You know, Thanks to Danny Davis's Input and yes, he had coaches there that helped him, like Dick, Nick Densmore and uh, Doug Basham, things like that. But all those guys, um, you know, got the wisdom and help from uh, Danny Davis. That's where it started from. So, getting back to your original question, I Andy Kaufman uh, at that time was was great to have in the dressing room. He was uh, cordial. And polite to everyone and uh, you you could tell he had respect for what for what everybody in that
0: uh, locker room did now with him and going and lawler going on Letterman too was super mainstream that they were getting over I mean they were really doing a, just a tremendous job with that were you thinking too, at that point like wow like we are you know we're, we're getting this damn thing you know super mainstream they were you know they're beating each other up on David Letterman Well, let me, let me say this. Um,
1: (laughs) When I first started in LA, uh, you know, we were on TV and business was terrible. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, we sold out and they're hanging from the rafters. That's not true. But on TV, you know, we did have a show and the first time I was ever recognized was at the post office. And I'm, I'm, there to mail my bills and everything. The guy turns around and says, wait a minute.
0: Are you
1: Tom Pritchard? And I said, well, yes, sir, I am. Said, well, nice to meet you. Can I have your autograph? Now, I'm 20 years old. But in Memphis, this and that, that was one of the only times in Los Angeles I was, I was recognized. And I'm saying that to say this, that in Memphis, uh, Lawler and Dundee, especially, were like rock stars. Everybody recognized them. But that was where uh, – I got recognized the most. My first run, they, they made me the TV champion, I think. And even, but even before that, it was like after the first week, you know, the fabs were recognized obviously, but, but it was that kind of vibe. And, and it was, it was on fire. It was hot. I mean, things were, things were happening. People watched the TV. And, um, so it was yeah, it was it was kind of cool to to be in that atmosphere, to be in that uh, uh, kind of place where they understood, you know, they understood. I I didn't always understand, but they understood. This was showbiz, and and we're gonna get the most out of it. And uh, every that that was one of the places though, where, where I did learn everything you do means something, everything you say means something, every little nuance, every movement, um, as as minute as you may think, it's true, it means something. And uh, Lawler's a master at it. Dundee was was a master at it, and uh, uh, later on, I'd say Jeff Jarrett did a pretty damn good job at it too. So. Yeah, it was it was a, a great place to go for smaller guys because uh, that that was pretty much the key of the territory. Jerry Jarrett wasn't a big guy. Lawler wasn't a big guy. Hell, Tojo Yamamoto certainly wasn't a big guy. But um, but they made the people of Memphis and Louisville and all these towns they ran with TV. They made the people come out, uh, whether it was for the belief of wrestling, or or the showbiz of wrestling, or just the fact they wanted to see a real live King of Memphis, you know, and uh, that that just that was that was a really good feeling. That's what you, what you want to do is be able to work in those kind of crowds to where everything you did, as long as it was hard and as long as it was uh, uh, looked authentic, and 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 they wanted to believe it and did believe it uh they would let you know. And and there's nothing better than working in front of a full house and a, a a boisterous full house. And uh at that time that's what we had. We were working in gyms, we were you know for the spot shows, we were working in arenas, uh Louisville Gardens, uh Evansville Coliseum and the Mid South Coliseum and you know some and the the Nashville Fairgrounds had a great feel to it for wrestling. You know, it was it was a fairgrounds, but but in those days, it was perfect for, you know, professional wrestling. It wasn't going to be sports entertainment, man. You were going to get blood and guts, and you had the baby face dressing room and heel dressing room on the opposite sides. And, uh, you know, you either got your finish in the ring or or, or you got it uh, from the referee before the match. You know, so, I mean, that, that was a great learning experience for for a young guy come in and 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 have to learn on the fly not be able to rehearse everything or talk about everything in the back
0: you know that was a great added benefit of memphis so you're mentioning some of the the, the venues and the places you guys went but how are those road trips are they bad easy you know i know usually you don't have a, a you know mind taking some of the road trips because you try to make them fun and do some other things so what did you think about the road trips not bad. I mean, Memphis to Nashville,
1: where we all lived, was 200 miles, you know, one way. So we, you would do 400 miles round trip on a Monday. And Tuesday was 160 miles to, to uh, Louisville. And I think we gained an hour going to Louisville, so we didn't have to leave that that, that early. Um, if you want to stay in Louisville, great, but most of the time we came back and then went another hundred and something to, uh, Evansville. So, I mean, they weren't long trips and, and then the spot shows on Thursday and Friday. Uh, sometimes it, the Thursday show would be near Nashville and other times it'd be near Memphis and you spend the night and have another spot show on Friday night and, uh, make Saturday morning TV at 9am, I guess, or 10, 10 o'clock, whatever time it aired live, but it was live again, live TV. What what a great experience that is too. You know, if you miss something or or mess it up, you can't do it. You can't on a promo, you can't do a double take. Um, so, you know, the trips weren't bad. If you had great traveling partners, they, they certainly made the, uh, the trip go by and, and, you know, most of the time in Memphis, I did. I had uh, some fun people to ride with. You know, Bobby Eaton, Steve Steve Kern, Stan Lane were were a lot of fun to ride with. And uh yeah, I I mean I had I have really no complaints uh on, on the uh the road trips or, or the buildings or, or the working part. I, I just wasn't ready to uh uh settle into the uh mental part of the business at that time.
0: So, how were the paydays? How were the payoffs in Memphis
1: at that time too again i have got to have got to
0: say pretty
1: pretty decent you you could make um at that time I, I believe it was close to five six hundred bucks a week again during 1983 and uh it would vary and the top guys obviously making a lot more but um you know once again. Jerry Jarrett and the Memphis territory get a bad rap for a lot of things because they were cheap. And yes, yes, on occasion uh, they were cheap with everybody, but they knew who to take care of. And this goes for every promoter of that era, or every promoter, I think, of any era. Uh, you know, they're the guys with their name on the on the the lease. Uh, their name is on the line. Their money's on the line. They're putting up all the risk, and they're they're advertising a card uh, with guys who they're hoping or have faith in that that can draw people. So when they don't draw, um, it's it's kind of hard to pay. But but it was drawing back then, so um, I, I I really didn't need a whole lot to. Uh, <laughs> to make me happier live. I mean, I was at that time. I I really was uh, living for the moment and uh, loving every minute of it.
0: So as you kind of move along here and you're wrestling certain guys, and it's just interesting. Steve Regal's name pops up. I just thought that's okay. That's interesting. Obviously, Steve, yeah. Obviously, the, the one from uh, Camp of Florida not yeah. not the. Uh, the Steve Regal that is known as William Regal, but well, Steve Regal, uh, Mister Electric Electricity, if you will. Yes, yes. I well, the reason I was
1: going to say. uh uh, I thought Steve was from the Midwest. I could be wrong. Oh, Maybe actually, he is...
0: I think he's from, um, actually, because I remember I interviewed him not so long ago. He's from, I think, Indianapolis, but he now lives in Tampa, some, something of that nature. But, yes, was from the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, he sent me, a, uh, I, I, I think, a friend request
1: or, or something or a message on Facebook, and uh, and he remembered that we had met. Uh, I met him first in Atlanta, but I met him again in Memphis. You know. Oh,
0: very cool. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I mean that that was that was kind of kind of neat. And but yeah, I was I was grabbing. Do, do you have uh, the result? I think I, I worked with Stan Hansen on TV. Do, do you have do you Ooh,
0: have let's that? See. Let's let's try to pull that up. Okay, because that that's the, an interesting
1: one in Memphis, well, huh? In Memphis on in t on TV. Now here's the thing. Uh, because I was the TV champion and they had a, it was like a disqualification or a countout and Stan said, well, I don't think I'll be around here too much longer. And I thought, no kidding. Cause I knew it was wrong. I knew that wasn't what you do with a guy like Stan Hansen against a guy like me. You just don't, um, you know, he, if he's going to come in and make an impact, you don't, you don't not win uh, against a fellow my size. And uh, especially during that time. And, for whatever reason, I don't know if Waller just didn't want to work with him or what the story was or if Stan had talked about money with him because Stan wasn't going to stick around for, for a low payoff. You know, it's like uh, I heard many times, you know, stories of Jimmy Valiant and uh, Austin Idol uh, being talked to you by Jerry Jarrett about, you know, move to Memphis, man. Stay with us. You know, come build your house here. Uh, but they they obviously didn't because they knew uh, it, it wasn't going to be that uh, it it wasn't you know the the promises of you know streets of gold uh, I think rang hollow with them. They're making good money, but I don't think they want to move there forever. But so anyway, so I worked with Stan on TV, and I've worked with Stan in Japan, uh, and everybody talks about how stiff he is. Stands solid, and you know I'm sure there's a few stray shots, but he but he never did that to me. He was solid, damn sure solid. But uh, that's the business we're in. We're not. It's not ballet, and that's part of the thing that um, I think sticks in a lot of people's craw these days. Is it's it's too choreographed and too um, balletish, if you will.
0: And it's interesting because I've now I'm looking it up. It says, according to this, it was his only appearance in Memphis was this match against you. Yeah. And he had to, to, you know, he had to cheat to beat you, basically.
1: That was what it was. Maybe yeah. he cheated. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That yep. it was like, man, I know this isn't right. I know it wasn't right. It was, it was. There have been a couple times in my career when I've said, eh, you know, something else is happening here, and I'm just going to stay out of it. So. And then later on, we learned the, the the reason the reason behind it. But I, I never learned the uh, the reason behind that one, with Stan. I'm just I'm just surmising.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe he was, you know, doing too well in Japan or going back and forth or something. Maybe he just yeah that 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 is an interesting one because '83 in and out just like that after a win, but like a cheap victory over a smaller guy like you said yeah
1: yeah exactly and I mean the only reason Stan Hansen would come to Memphis would be to work with Lawler that's that's the only spot for a guy like Stan I mean some guys are just <laughs> made for the uh, main event and and Stan's the guy you know and if you don't do something with him right off the bat you're not going to do anything with him it just that 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 pretty much uh that told the story, and I think Stan. I don't think I know Stan was smart enough
0: to understand that and say, "Well, boys,
1: I think I'll get him a horse and ride
0: on out of town." So, very interesting. Yeah, that's cool a little uh, tidbit there about Stan, Stan the man. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, and and every time
1: and every time since,
0: uh, you know that I've that
1: I've <laughs> that I've seen Stan, you know, he's been he's he's been great. And, um, you know, i got to give it, give him all the credit in the world because he he, uh, he did it the hard way, came up, paid his dues, and, and uh, made his way in this
0: business, man. He made a hell of a name for himself. Other guys you've wrestled, the Giant Rebel, A.K. Uncle Elmer, A.K. the man with literally 5,200 oh. nicknames, uh, Plowboy Frazier, Playboy Frazier. Oh. I mean, he's had a million nicknames. Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: And, and, uh, have you heard the story? You've heard the stories about Plowboy, I'm sure.
0: Uh, what stories are you alluding
1: to? Well, uh, the Rolex stories, the pictures, the, um, you know, uh, the, he was like a big giant, uh, baby almost, you know, nice guy, nice guy, but, but he was almost like, you know, they they would do things in Memphis to rib the guys, and they ribbed the old uh, Plowboy, and they had him as the Lone Ranger with the Lone Ranger mask and the hat and the Lone Ranger outfit like you couldn't tell it was Plowboy, right? He's six nine or 7 foot tall, big old guy uh you know he he actually he was on Andy Kaufman's special the the network special and he comes up and um it's you have to it's an acquired taste to watch this special but it was a network special Andy did and he brings out Plowboy and he 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 has him like put some raw eggs in a glass and he swallows them, and he spits them back in the glass. He doesn't swallow them. He puts them in his mouth, and he puts it, spits them back in the glass like three times. The people are repulsed, and Andy thinks it's the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> and, uh, but but Plot Boy would do things like he'd bring these fake Rolex watches and, and sell them to the boys for like 20 bucks, and they'd break the next day. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and then he would have these these ridiculous
0: I mean they were amusing,
1: but ridiculous Polaroid pictures and um you know any he, any he would he would like to show the boys in in the dressing room and you look at it and it was just uh it was a different business back then John i just i I don't know that we need to go into what the pictures were, but they were but they were interesting, especially when this big seven foot you know four hundred pound fella. You know, laying there with uh, three on each side, so there'd be six together sometimes, and sometimes two. But but the ones I saw were, were just you going, how in the world does this happen? And, um, <laughs> and you know, it have a story. It was it was the the fiction was a lot stranger than the fact back then, because uh, you could tell people what what was going on and what was happening and people wouldn't believe you. I wouldn't believe you unless I saw it. I would not believe half the things I've seen if you told me unless I saw them. And that, that, that was when I knew I was in the right place.
0: Yeah. You seem to uh, attract, uh, not, I won't say weirdos, but you know, some (laughs) weird things. (laughs) Yeah. Some weird things. (laughs) Yeah. And weirdos,
1: man. I'm not, uh, I, I, I tell you it, it, it has been, an interesting life. Um, not always uh, was I on track, but but even just going down where I went down, whatever road I went down. Yeah, I found I found some uh, some weirdos and some crazy things. But you know, I'm I'm glad I got to experience them because some people never get to. And and you always wonder what's on the other side or what what's out on the road. And and uh, I always wondered and always. Wanted to see it, and you know you read. You can read books, and you can hear other people say it and talk about it. Like like with Flair is a, is a perfect example for this business. <laughs> Have the things that you would hear about Rick Flair. You would say, "There's no way anybody could do that." Well, actually, yeah, there is because it's Rick Flair. And Rick Flair, there's there's other people I'm sure close to his status in legendary. Um, things he's done and performed, but my God, you know, seeing it for myself with, with the one and only uh, nature boy was good enough for me.
0: Now, as far as some of the other crazy things going on in Memphis, you said Lawler has the books, so you know, he's tending to do some craziness. Like for instance, like we said, Uncle Uncle Elmer really is the giant rebel at one point. He's got the Galaxian, whatever the hell that gimmick that is.
1: Galaxian that was that yeah.
0: was Danny Davis and Ken Wayne, by the way. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh okay. Um Danny Davis was also the Jaguar at one point and um, No, 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 no. Ken Wayne was the Jaguar. Oh, okay. Oh, so I'm yeah. mixing them up. Okay. Yeah. But that is interesting that he's got all these guys that are, you know, those, especially Wayne and Danny Davis are pretty good workers, got him playing all these different gimmicks and different characters. Duke Myers at one point is the, the Prince of Darkness. I mean, is that kind of his silliness a little bit with getting to, you know, a little bit of quote-unquote sports entertainment life? Well, he, but they've always had this, that
1: silliness in Memphis. And the, the difference though, I think, was even when they would do silliness, they would do the violence and blood and guts along with it. Like you, you've heard of the Tupelo uh, concession stand fight, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Well, that was with the, the blonde bombers. You know, uh, Larry Latham and, and Wayne Ferris, the Hawks Dunk Man. Larry Latham went on to be a, a moon dog. Um, and they 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 might do silliness, but then they would do something along those lines that that with the people. Um in attendance have never seen before, and didn't know what they were seeing. they just thought that was the coolest damn thing ever uh so even even when like what i when I was there and I saw uh leatherface with the uh chainsaw come to the ring, well, it was a damn real chainsaw, so you had to be careful and People knew it was a chain so and Lawler would get close to it, uh, you know, like it's it's it could do damage, but they knew enough not to not not to get as close as they needed to, obviously. But but that was the thing; they would do the craziness, they would do the silliness, but yet uh, then when when it would come time to pull it off, um, there were sometimes it didn't come off that great, but there were other times that. Didn't it didn't matter? It, it was. Um, I remember a time uh, Dundee telling me about uh, Lawler. They were having these entrances, and Lawler was going to come out on this white horse and come up from the bottom of the uh, uh, Coliseum, and Dundee was going to ride down on a motorcycle. And Dundee rode down on a motorcycle, and they had a had a uh, spotlight following him, and the spotlight got in his eyes, and he wiped out the first row. <laughs> Three, four people, four or five people on the first row, and he and he gets in the ring. So I think I killed somebody, you know. But 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 you know, then they would do these. They would have these great entrances and set the table, so the people would be buzzing from this great, you know, king come down with these great looking capes and crowns and and uh, outfits, and he'd be either riding a camel or a damn horse or or something, and he would he would have this. Uh, entire pre-match uh, ritual to get the people buzzing about. It. It's like, oh my god! So when the bell rang, you know they were ready, and and Waller knew how to how to carry it out out from there. You know, and um, so I, I mentioned I I did a tweet the other day saying I think kids might like seeing a Funk Valentine or Wahoo uh, or a Funk uh, Briscoe Valentine Wahoo. And somebody else matched, and then somebody brought up the fact that they saw Lawler and Harley race uh, on YouTube not too long ago, and it was a 60-minute draw. And he said I was sitting there getting into the match, even knowing Lawler didn't win the belt. Um, the match had the drama, it had the timing, it had every element in there that that would suck you in. And it started from the entrance, and Lawler knew how to, you know, have a story from the beginning, the middle, and an end. And that was you know, I gotta say, you know, Lawler and Dundee for the for the eighties and modern era anyway, uh prior to that it was Fargo and whoever else you wanted wanted to bring in there, but Lawler and Dundee uh carried that territory for years and they, they were the stars for years and nobody in this day and age can understand how relevant and how over those guys actually were at one time. It's sad uh, that nobody studies the history or knows the history uh, about those guys. Or, or, or I'm not going to say nobody, but but the majority of the guys don't have a clue. And and I understand most most 26 to 30 year old people come home now and and they watch uh, Netflix Hulu. Or whatever else. They don't watch any of the network TVs. They don't watch a whole lot of uh, history of wrestling because it doesn't interest them. They just want to get to the sizzle, and they don't understand that. Yes, you need sizzle, and you need that spectacle, and you need what, uh, what what those guys do. But you also need what those guys did, and that's they add. They had the spectacle, they had the glitz and glamour and the sizzle. But also they gave them the stake. I mean, when the bell rang, those guys went out there and they they worked hard. And there was that element of of doubt or that element of, man, this may be a work, but these guys are putting everything into it, and they're great at what they do. And, uh, you know, that's what they did in Memphis. They gave you the spectacle. They gave you – they set the table for – for guys to go out and be stars, wear something nobody else is wearing. Wear a ring jacket, wear a robe. Don't go out in a t-shirt. Uh, wear something special, colorful. You know, you don't look like the guy in the crowd. Cause if you do, then you should be back in the crowd. And uh, that was, that was certainly what they preached and certainly what they
0: produced and, and uh, delivered. So at one point, in 1983, you have your last match in Memphis, and you leave for Portland for a year. So basically, 83 Memphis, 84 Portland, and back in the September-ish area of 1985, you return to Memphis. Is that kind of the plan? Leave and come back, or was it one of those things where you left Portland and it was like, oh, I guess I'm going back to Memphis? Uh yeah, pretty much. One of those things. I left
1: and. Uh, pretty much came back to Memphis I guess well, well yeah I I left Portland though I came back to um mid south first in Louisiana and then I went back to Memphis oh, right. Yeah. yeah yeah there was there was a break in there so um and that's that's where uh I was able to turn heel thanks to Bill Watts and that that's again where looking back on it, I realized that you know Bill wasn't oblivious to what was going on. Bill watched everybody on his card and um, took note of of trying to mold, trying to to uh, help young talent as, as did Ernie Ladd, as did Grizzly Smith. you know and, and that was the way it was back then. You had guys to watch every match in the card to see if there's anybody on this on this card. Uh, anybody on this crew uh, that we can develop or, or, or help. And, and it's, it was a lot more prevalent looking back on it and thinking about it than it is today because it's a different world. It's a different business. Um, Everybody talked back then there were, there were 42 territories, I guess, to go to back then. And, you know, everybody was looking for new talent. Who's going to be the next guy. And, uh, uh, or who could who could be one of our utility guys? Who could help us out here? And and yeah, so that mid south, then back to Memphis, and that was with Dundee, who um, originally we didn't always get along, but you know after a while became fond of one another, understood where each other was coming from, and uh, you know that and he's the one who told us. He said, you know, in order to get a break, somebody has to like you.
0: And so he liked Pat, Rose, and I, and we went back to Memphis. It's interesting, like, the way things work out. You know, six months or so in Memphis, then a year in Portland, then about eight months or so in Mid-South, and then back to Memphis. But it's just interesting, you know, where you end up. There's no really, you know, I guess set time frame back in the territory days. You mean you just go uh, where the work is, and your first kind of early first work back in 85 in Memphis is against Coco Ware, and it's a big kind of, Um, I guess you could say, team-up, mash-up, if you will, with the Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, JCP, as they do the Great American Bash, but in Memphis at the Mid-South Coliseum, and you lose to Coco Beware. Do you remember this, like, kind of just huge, huge card for 1985? I do. I do, actually. And uh, I hurt my back
1: in that match, and I think think Coco got hot. Man, I I took a bump, and it just went out. killed me. Don't know what I, I don't know what I did, but it just uh, yeah I remember I remember hurting my back and Coco kind of like going ah oh, damn it and we we just we went home. So I do uh, I remember uh, uh, I think the main event was Flair and Lawler and yep. Yep. Uh, Rock and Roll had a match with oh the, God the, the Russians. Russians yeah the yep. Russians yeah so yeah it was a big card it was and, and happy to be a part of that so. Um, you know it was there there were things still happening uh, around that time, but but also it was uh you know it was Memphis, <laughs> and Memphis had kind of uh, gone down a little bit from what it once was in the eighties, obviously, so uh, but
0: but yeah, I do remember it was it was a cool night, so with you and Pat Rose, like you mentioned. They basically form you guys together, and you guys are going to become a team. Um, some may say the original Heavenly Bodies, although I don't, I don't think technically you guys were the original, but the original, you know, as far as you're concerned, original right. Heavenly Bodies.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, my God. The, the original Heavenly Bodies were Don and Al Green. And, uh, yeah, Bobby Fulton, as a matter of fact, came up with that name for us. We were trying to think of a name, and Sherry Martell was our manager. And, uh, Bobby said, what about the heavenly bodies? And I thought, well, yeah, that's cool. We agreed on that. And, uh, uh, and, and again, you know, Pat and I had known each other for a while and Pat was a good worker, but, but as usually is, you know, we were, we were two different people who didn't, um, you know, he liked country. I was rock and roll (laughs) and, uh, you know yeah that that was that but but we got along great uh for the most part, and thought we did a good job, had a great team, and then I broke my ankle
0: and you and these injuries your your back your ankle, your snake bit here
1: well, I've been snake bit my
0: whole life, but you know uh I was bound
1: and determined to do what I wanted to do, and that that didn't always uh. Put me on the right path So I You know I, I made it through as part of life And I got through it and uh,
0: Did it my way It wasn't always the right way but I damn sure did it my way And you and Pat Run into some old friends The Armstrongs, Scott and Steve Armstrong Man you run into them everywhere Well here
1: the deal on that too Though is you know the Armstrongs Came in to work with us and then uh, So did Jerry Stubbs Jerry stubbs That's where I met Jerry uh, it was in Memphis during that. They didn't stay very long. I think maybe a month or two months, whatever it was. But you know, Jerry was was a great guy, and he still is. And and he was uh, a lot of fun <laughs> while while we were there. We stayed at uh, oh hell the Days Inn, and you know, we'd go to the gym and do do what we had to do. But but they, I don't think the Armstrongs uh, were very happy with. With the way things were going then, and, and the payoffs, and positioning, and uh, just the whole feel of it wasn't 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 what they were used to. I think, especially after coming from Atlanta or coming from Pensacola, they uh, I don't think they were well. I know they weren't. They weren't real happy with with the way things were going. So, so they
0: went back home real soon. They didn't make a long stay out of it at all. The Fantastics, like you just mentioned, Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers, great, great underrated tag team. You guys wrestled them as well. I know we talked about them kind of before, but at this point in time, you guys seeing like, wow, you know, this is one of the best tag teams in wrestling. The damn Fantastics are great.
1: Yeah, they they were great. Uh, Bobby and and Tommy were were actually,
0: well, fantastic. Uh,
1: Yeah, that that was a night off every night. And then when Tommy stopped, you know, and we went to – when we went to Smoky Mountain and Bobby uh, uh, had his brother Jackie on, that was a sharp contrast, sharp change. So, But, yeah, at that time, Tommy and Bobby, I think were probably one of the greatest teams uh, in the business.
0: This is a uh, great three-on-two handicap match. You, Pat Rose, and Sherry Martell, defeat the fabulous ones in the mid-south coliseum in December of 85. What do you remember about that? I mean, that's awesome. Sherry Martell, a huge legend in the business. Yeah. Yeah, well, what I remember
1: uh I don't I don't remember a whole lot about the match specifically, but I just remember Sherry uh being very, very cool and one of the boys and that that's how it was back then. Was most of the uh most of the ladies who were working uh if they came in for a week or if they were working the territory um they were one of the boys usually and and everybody knew the story everybody uh gave the the respect that was deserved and sherry certainly earned everybody's respect she was a tough lady and she was a great lady too she was very very cool and i all i remember is uh everybody loving loving to be around her and and enjoying working with her regardless
0: of what it was so really the last match you have is December 16th 1985 or or around that date you lose you and Pat the heavenly bodies lose to the fabulous ones Lane and Kern and kind of on your way out, is that one of those things where obviously, you know, you got to lose on the way out and you guys were kind of feuding with them, um, for the better part of a couple of months there. So is that one of those obvious things? You just kind of just losing the way out? Well,
1: well, it would be, but, uh, what happened was, um, and it, it probably was time for us to go, but what, what happened was I broke my ankle in Louisville and worked, uh, the next week all the way through. And, uh, come to find out and Sherry took me to the doctor and found out that I had yes indeed broke my ankle they put me in a cast and that was that was the last uh, thing I could do and that's when you know my dad and a friend of mine came uh, drove up to Nashville uh, and helped me take my car back to Houston so yeah, it wasn't planned that way. It, nobody had really given us a start and finish date, but uh, it just kind of uh, finished that way, you know, because of the ankle.
0: So obviously, next, which we've talked about before, uh, you went to CCW, uh, probably about four months later in, in 1986, and obviously we're healed and and so on and so forth. We talked about that, but what's the overall thoughts on Memphis, Tennessee, the crazy wacky world of Memphis? Well. I am glad I got to
1: experience the crazy wacky world of Memphis. Um because for for my initial thoughts of Jerry Lawler, they certainly changed over the years. Um Lawler was by all means um one of the best workers um and performers uh, in the business, so I'm glad I got to see and witness it firsthand, and I'm glad I got to see Dundee in his uh, in his prime too, because it, it's legendary what they did uh, on, on on a lot of fronts. You know, I just knowing the story how Lawler became the king. You know, with Bobby Shane uh, giving him his crown before you know he. Yeah, I think he gave Lawler a crown in Atlanta and then Bobby moved on to uh Tampa working for Eddie Graham before he died. So uh just knowing the legend and knowing the uh the history of how Lawler became, you know, the king and what he accomplished in Memphis, I, I was I was glad I got to experience that and I got to meet some uh, some interesting characters and uh I had some, some really good matches. Uh, along the way you know uh i had i had some great matches with jeff and in dallas and in memphis and in all around the loop you know and i got to work with some uh interesting people see some interesting people and uh overall i i i rate it as a positive experience
0: i mean i have no other choice it was uh very beneficial I of love Memphis, and like we said, when you were there, Kaufman and Lawler was going on, and you know uh, D- Dutch and, and was still there; he was still pretty hot, you know, at that point. Bill Dundee, so I mean, a lot of legendary figures for sure uh, coming in and out of Memphis, Tennessee at that time. There's no doubt about that. Well,
1: yeah, let me just mention Dutch too, because I rode back with Dutch. I think my first night, he rode back with me. Let me say that he rode back to Nashville with me, and uh, you know he he had a lot of stories and he was entertaining and funny and uh, you know, and I got to meet his wife, Kathy, and, and she was, she was just like Dutch, you know? So um, yeah. And Dutch is, is another one of those guys that was uh, entertaining and could work and knew how to knew how to tell a story and he knew how to tell other people how to tell a story. So uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you had all you had all those legends to learn from and uh, meet and and
0: gain some knowledge. You know, sit sit under the uh, learning tree. So I think that is a, a great stopping point. Just want to mention pro wrestling tees. You can go to the J P W A store, or you can go to Doctor Tom's store. I highly recommend. It on Pro Wrestling Tees, the Wanted Dead or Alive shirt, you can also go to Patreon, where a page has been set up. You can become a patron and support the JPWA. Check out the website for JPWA. That is jpwrestlingacademy.com. And, of course, got to mention this, a pro wrestling curriculum, advice, suggestions, and stories to help the aspiring pro get to the next level, the book by Dr. Tom Pritchard. Dr. Tom, where can they get this great book?
1: Well, you can get it from Amazon.com, just uh Type in my name, Dr. Tom Pritchard, book, or uh, you can send twenty-five dollars to my PayPal, which is drtompritchard at aol dot com, and get a personally signed, autographed book. Um, and uh, that would be that would be uh, your choice. Amazon or PayPal works
0: either way. And you can follow me on Twitter at two-man power trip and of course dr tom is dr tom pritchard want to mention one more time that you go to manscape.com get yourself the lawnmower a 3.0 manscaping accents are finally a thing of the past trim that junk of yours your balls will thank you i promise you that You know, one of the coolest features on
1: that is that LED light, man. I mean, it lights up so good. If you're in the shower, it's waterproof. It's one of the greatest inventions so far I've come across in my life. And I've come across a lot of inventions in my life, just so you know.
0: And you're a doctor, so, I mean, it's pretty... (laughs) It's pretty kind of self-explanatory there. It's got to be something amazing. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code Empire at Manscaped.com. That is 20% off, free shipping, Manscaped.com. Just use the promo code Empire.com. Got one more question for you. Do you have some upcoming appearances you'd like to discuss? Well, we have a camp that is sold
1: out. Les Thatcher and I are doing an intense camp on the 8th and 9th of August. Uh, prior to that, after that, right now, everything is pretty much uh, uh, still on the table, I guess. And, and uh, we're waiting to confirm uh, everything before I go ahead and say it. But, yeah, I think right now that's that's about the only thing. We are doing a uh, – I take that back. JPWA does have our uh, August – uh at the end of August, we, we are starting the next 12-week course, I believe, August 20, August 31st through October 20th. But for all information, go to jprwrestlingacademy.com. We are on Facebook as well under Jacobs Pritchard Wrestling Academy. And um, so we, we're in the – tomorrow we'll begin – or today, I guess, we'll begin the eighth week. Of, uh, you know, this 12-week session. So these guys have been working hard and and doing a great job. So our next uh, 12-week session starts um, August 31st, 2020. And, boy, has 2020 been a hell of a year.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, has it ever. That is for sure. So, folks, thank you for joining us this week. And we will see you right back here next week on Taking You to School. With Dr. Tom Pritchard See you next week folks Thanks for listening to the two man Power trip of wrestling What the world is downloading